Hello, and welcome to Wealth Matters, our first radio show production, a radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. The show is presented to you by Gasowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether it be through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz, and today we're talking about charitable giving. Before we start, we'd like to share with you how our law firm is participating in charitable giving and making a positive difference in the community this year. Adam, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about it? Well, this year we're celebrating our firm's 25th anniversary, and instead of having a party this year, we decided we really wanted to share our success with the community. So we decided to make 25 donations to celebrate our 25 years to charities that our attorneys and our staff pick. So each month, a, uh, two of our employees pick the charities, and the firm makes donations to those two charities. So far, we've supported such causes as domestic violence, uh, child trafficking, homeless uh, youth, uh, and we've created a board with uh, pictures, videos, articles, and stories on Pinterest. Uh, if you go to Pinterest.com uh, slash estate dispute, uh, you can follow us for updates. And when we say we support these charities, we don't actually mean we support domestic violence. I think we really mean that we support kind of charities that oppose domestic violence. I'm sure that's what we meant, right? That's, that's exactly what we meant. Okay, and now it's time to introduce our guests. We actually have three wonderful people here from Atlanta that deal with charitable giving and that who Adam and I have great personal respect for. We have Donna Barwick, who is a senior fiduciary officer with Wilmington Trust Company, and I know that she deals with her charitable giving of her clients all the time. We have Steve Berman, a founder and managing partner of Stephen M. Berman & Associates. And not only is he a great uh, accountant, he also participates a lot with his family and himself in charitable giving. And we have Ty Tippett, a senior director for Planned Gifts with the Shepherd Center Foundation, who started off as a lawyer and apparently he's been reformed and now tries to help raise money for a wonderful cause at the Shepherd Center. Um, can each of you just give us a brief uh, overview of what you and your company do? Uh, Donna, why don't you start, Donna? Okay. Um, well, like Ty, I practiced law for about 20 years, um, advising clients on estate planning, including charitable giving. Now I work with Wilmington Trust Company, and we are we handle investment management, but also serve as trustee and have a great tradition of fiduciary um, business where we are managing family assets, right. starting with the DuPont family about 104 years ago. All right. Thank you. Steve? Uh, our firm, Stephen M. Berman Associates, are certified public accountants, and we deal with basically high net worth individuals. And we have found over the years that charitable planning and charitable giving is basically the last, quote, tax shelter, end of quote, alive. And we try to uh, impart a charitable element into all of our clients' um, financial plans. Ty? Um, I'm the director of plan giving at Shepherd Center, uh, and our foundation where I work is the fundraising entity for Shepherd, which is the largest spinal cord and brain injury hospital in the nation, also serving a large population of MS patients. Okay. All right, well, let's start with our questions. Um, Donna, why don't we start with you? Uh, how involved do you get with your clients in helping them make decisions about charitable planning? That 
depends largely on what other advisors are involved. A lot of times clients come to us having been advised by their lawyer or their accountant already. Sometimes they are talking to us first. So we talk to them a lot about more about how to give than about who to give to because most of our clients have a passion about something or another so we don't try to direct them to a particular charity so much as help them figure out how mechanically to give to that charity whether it's through their will or lifetime gifts or any number of different ways you can do that. And what, what about you Steve because you, you have an accounting practice so you tend to have long-term relationships with clients. How, how does that work with you? Uh, excellent question, and I, I would uh, also echo what Donna uh, says, and I go around saying that, that it's the job of the accountant to fit the passion with the need. And I may have a passion for a particular charity, but I cannot foster my particular passion on my client. Rather, I need to find out what the passion of that client is and the need for that particular organization that he is trying uh, to benefit. And then, as Donna said, to find the right tool if you will, so that that person can enhance his charitable giving. When you choose, you're, you're, both of you mentioned, both Donna and Steve mentioned that it's the passion from the client. I often see with my clients and my friends that they have a passion for a cause, but they actually don't know how to choose how or where to give. How do you help them kind of navigate that area? So you may care about kids, but you don't know how to give to kids or what charities are appropriate? Do you assist your clients in trying to find that answer out? There's some great tools available in Atlanta to help clients with that if they don't already have a particular charity in mind. And the Community Foundation comes to mind because they have a um, tremendous amount of um, information about different philanthropic organizations around town that that are organized around different causes. And so if a client really doesn't know how to or what charity they will um, further their passion, they can get a lot of advice from the community foundation. Go down there and visit. They, they will be taken on site visits if they want to do that so they can go visit these different organizations and see how they actually work and, and help at whatever cause they have a passion about. You said the community foundation. Can you tell our listeners what the community foundation is? The community foundation of greater Atlanta, um, I wasn't I'm not exactly sure how long they've been in existence, but like many metropolitan areas, the Atlanta has a community foundation, and they um, they help people decide how to give. They they actually have funds at the community foundation that people can create a fund within the community foundation. Um, people make gifts for. Um, to the community foundation in general, or they can create a fund within the community foundation. And um, the community foundation has a lot of, they support a lot of different um, charitable organizations and keep a lot of information about what they do and have reports. They they keep this information where people can go down and look at it and read what, and, and then do site visits and they also uh, do what are called donor-advised funds, do they not? Right. I think the um, uh, Jewish Federation also has a donor-advised fund. I think there are a number of different types of those around, aren't there? They're correct. The, uh, the Jewish Federation of Greater Atlanta does have uh, a donor-advised fund program. And between the Community Foundation and the Jewish Federation of Greater Atlanta, those are the two main uh, programs in the city that, that have donor-advised funds. Several other organizations have them. Uh, but the amount of money that's in these two organizations is greater than the other ones. Ty, 
you're the you're kind of on the other side. So somebody has a passion and Steve can assist in the vehicles and Donna can help her clients. But you're actually a charity that's asking for the money. How do you instill that passion uh, so that Steve and Donna can help their clients give to the Shepherd Center? Well, I want to reiterate one thing that Donna and Steve do a great job of. First of all, they ask the question of what are the charitable interests. And, and it's amazing how many professional advisors fail to ask that question. But the way that we try to expose people to the mission of Shepherd Center is through a variety of ways we try to get them to come to Shepherd and see um, uh, through a tour uh, what Shepherd Center is all about. Most people have no idea the scope of what goes on there uh, and all of the services we provide and the the optimistic atmosphere that permeates the entire environment. So getting them to come for a tour is one important way. Another way is to uh, expose them through uh, our various supporting organizations, such as our auxiliary, our junior committee, our Shepherd Center Society, our Peach Corps. We have a number of organizations that they bec can become involved in a volunteer way uh, to uh, be a part of the Shepherd Center community, which our, our community is our patients, our families, our staff, our volunteers, and our donors. And once they're in that community, it's a, a very infectious and contagious uh, spirit that uh, uh, in, increases the desire to become a part and give. We but, mentioned at the beginning of the show that you started your legal career as a lawyer and then you left and went to the Shepherd Center. So you're one of the ones that kind of followed a passion. Tell me why you went to the Shepherd Center. I actually, like Donna, practiced law for 20 years and then did a six-and-a-half-year stint in wealth management at SunTrust and became aware of the opportunity at Shepherd Center to do planned giving. And uh, I didn't know a lot about Shepherd at that time, but uh, it has been the greatest blessing in my life to be a part of this community. I'm still a licensed lawyer. I just don't practice anymore. Well, well, I, maybe you'll practice and get better eventually. <laughs> I, I want to interject something that Ty said that is so true about how an organization works with an accountant or attorney. Uh, we've had a client that for years gave a significant sum of money to the Shepherd Spinal Center, and Ty called me one day and said, do you think that this particular client would, uh, would direct her giving to a therapeutic program that we are running? And we know that there's an interest in, in animals, especially in horses, and we have a horse therapy program. Do you think your client would direct the giving to that program? I called the client. The client said, absolutely, and it, it's a home run. It's, it works very well when we work together with these organizations like Ty's. How much of the of the charitable giving do you think is tax motivated versus a genuine interest in the charity? Well, I could probably answer that. I think very little, actually. I, I, I people. I think that's overplayed. I think that people um, it really they they have to have what I call donor intent. If there's not donor intent, that is, I want to make a difference, then we don't suggest to use charity. For tax motivation purposes. If there is donor intent, then we can give them the various tools they use. But I think very little is tax motivated. I agree 100% with, with what Steve had say, has said. The tax benefits 
are a great additional incentive. But if there were no tax benefits at all available under the law, there would still be substantial charitable giving in this country because the main motivation is to help the organization that you have a passion for. And that's actually great. We're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. And we're talking about charitable giving today. We're your hosts, Adam Gasowitz and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gasowitz Frankel. And we're talking today to Donna Barwick, Ty Tippett, and Steve Berman. Steve, I have a question for you. You mentioned when talking about the Shepherd Center, the idea of a program might inspire somebody. And you and I were talking the other day, and you you just you described for me the distinction between giving to what I would call brick and mortar or capital giving and giving to programs. What's the difference for you? The, the difference for myself and our family is programmatic giving. I think you're trying to make a difference. You're establishing a program in, in which the funds that go into that program will, will en- enhance uh, and further the cause of that organization. Uh, w- bricks and mortar giving is certainly necessary to build all the major buildings, et cetera, that we have in this, in this city. But sometimes uh, people want to see their name on a building, and therefore, th- uh, which is needed, and give large sums for that, but they don't necessarily, they make the building possible, but they don't necessarily enhance the programmatic feature of it. Are I, any of you finding, even when people give to the brick and mortar, that there is either a request or, or, or an opportunity or suggestion to give that you also give towards the operation side or the programs that are going to go into the building, or is this not discussed? That's discussed usually between the charity and the client, and we don't necessarily get involved in that. Once the client has made their mind up that they want to benefit, say, the Shepherd Center, then someone like Ty within that organization would help direct them to where their money is best used. And Ty, are you seeing people or are you asking people when you're talking about a brick and mortar? I know you all had a big campaign relatively recently for the new building. Did you also ask for operations or do you separate that out? Uh, We we make a dual ask. We always... uh, uh, in a in a capital campaign, we also promote programmatic giving as well uh, as as part and parcel. Sometimes the brick and mortar is an easier sell in terms of people wanting to contribute to brick and mortar, but the the program part is so important at a place like Shepherd Center, where so many of our programs are unfunded or underfunded through insurance. So we have to provide a lot of support for other for programs through charitable donations. So we try to make a dual ask as much as we can. Does that create a problem for your potential givers who are giving to operations because there is insurance or public money that's going into the care? Does that inhibit giving or is it not an issue? It's, it's really not an issue because we get no public money and we are able to show that insurance just does not cover the costs of the services that we provide. So, Donna, are there things that, that uh, firms like yours do to help educate their clients? Do they do, they do seminars for families and, um, and, and actually try and, and, and create an environment where, where the families are more charitably inclined? We do. We 
on a number of levels, we are involved with our clients and charities. Um, first of all, almost everybody at Wilmington Trust in Atlanta, for sure, and nationally, is personally involved in some organizations, whether they're on the board or they volunteer every Saturday or whatever. So it's part of the culture to begin with. And with most of our clients, it's part of their culture, too. So um, we ask the question, as Ty said, which is step number one, and then help guide them. And knowing about organizations is helpful. I it, At one point in my career, I thought organizations like Spinal Center, when they made a presentation to me, were asking me to tell my clients to give to them. And I didn't feel like that was my role. But as as I've been more involved in it, I realize how helpful it is for me to know about the organizations and how they operate and how our, our clients can help them. So we try to be involved in the community and the different organizations and know as much about them as we can so that we can help our clients. And sometimes our clients come to us with something that we've never even heard of. And so it's a collaborative process. But I found in the past that a lot of clients are you know, charitably inclined but don't think about it. They're just not aware of the things they could do or not aware that the amount of money they have could actually make a difference. And so they don't really consider it. So I'm wondering if, if there's a, 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 a way that your firm helps to uh, not not just educate people, but make people more aware of the kinds of things they could be doing if they wanted to? Well, there are tools for people who, like life insurance, for example, if they, um, and some of the charitable organizations can help with programs that they have. The University of Georgia, for example, I know for young alumni will um, promote life insurance as a way of giving because they, they haven't gotten to a point where they're making a lot of money where they can make large cash gifts. So there are um, there are a lot of different ways. There are different tools, different types of trust, testamentary gifts. You don't have to, um, if they don't have the money today, they might have that when they die or um, at some point in their life. So there are a lot of different ways that we can help our clients. I went to a Georgia plan uh, giving council meeting, I don't know, several years ago, talking about I spoke at the, at the program about how to avoid conflicts, which is what we do. But someone mentioned to me, it was University of Georgia School of Law, where I'm a proud graduate, said one way to get people to start thinking about charitable giving is to give a 1% in their will. Give 1% to a charity you've historically given to, and maybe you'll be able to expand it. Maybe you won't, but at least you've gotten into the pattern. I, I thought it was brilliant. Is, is that going on, or, or is that just somebody being really smart to me? Well, I, I can answer that. I, I think that, that um, it's an excellent question, and I think uh, I go around saying that giving makes you feel good, makes you feel rich. And if you can get them to say, well, I'll just start out with 1% in, in my testamentary, in my will, um, and they think about that. And two, three years later, you're reviewing the will, you come back to it and say, remember that 1% we put in? Yeah, that really makes me feel good. It makes me feel like I'm making a difference. It makes me feel like I'm going to leave something after I'm no longer here. And they, and they will increase that. And before you know, they may be up to 10%. So that's an excellent point. Correct. And are you seeing that, Donna, from anyone in your families, or are they already giving and so it's not an issue for you? I have not actually seen the start at 1% approach. I think it's a great idea. I haven't seen it personally with the clients of ours. Most of our clients are already giving at that sort of level, at least, to the charities that they're involved in. What about the idea of... Uh of giving during their lifetime because as good as it feels to leave a gift in your will feels even better when you do something and you're alive to see it happen have you 
talk to your clients? Have any of you talked to your clients about about the benefits of giving now as opposed to giving later? Absolutely. I'm, I mean, when somebody gives during life, they're able to see the benefits uh, of of their gifts and also receive the thanks for those gifts in, in a in a very tangible way. Um, so we try to promote the plan giving, which is uh, the number one vehicle there, of course, is a bequest in the will. And, and can you tell, tell us what plan giving is in your mind? Plan giving, uh, in its broadest sense, is any gift which will require the assistance of a professional. So that would be a, a wide variety of things. It may be a will bequest or a charitable remainder trust, a charitable lead trust, a charitable gift annuity, a life insurance policy, a portion of your retirement accounts uh, left to the charity. Uh, so those are the most popular vehicles, and the number one being a will bequest. So we try to, again, promote uh, dual asks for, for people to give currently, uh, through annual gifts, through major gifts, and through plan giving. And I want to give a plug for talking to lawyers on this because, of course, I am a lawyer. But Adam and I were involved in a national charity that was the beneficiary of a pay-on-death account on a CD. Turns out that pretty much across the country, that's illegal, um, that you can't have a charity be the beneficiary of a CD or any pay-on-death designation at a bank. And I think banks are struggling with their service and how to tell a customer this. So when you're dealing with wanting to give testamentary gifts, it's very important, I think, to talk to the lawyers and see what would work successfully. Uh, 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 Steve, you received, as I recall, the 2007 Greater Good Award, which was sponsored by the Georgia Plan Giving Council, which is a pretty impressive thing. I happen to know you and know that you're really not out for the glory. And so that, that it had to be great for your family. But what motivates you to want to give? It wasn't the award. It was something else. What motivates you? Well, um, yes, uh, I was very humbled to receive that gift. But I, um, in my uh, speech, I said there's three things that I think uh, those that are involved in the charitable arena have to have. You have to have mentors. You have to have someone that have paved the way, someone that has instilled in you the, the importance to give. Uh, number two, you have to have backstops, and the people that came before me that received that award were outstanding in the legal community, and if I had a problem or didn't understand something, I had the backstop to go to them. And three, you have to have willing clients. you got to have, have people who want to give back, understand what it makes to, to, to make a difference, understand what it does to make a difference, and that almost are guinea pigs. So they're my charitable guinea pigs. And if I want to try something out, I go to one of my willing clients and, who I know is very charitable and say, let's do this. And it turned out that somebody endowed, uh, because of this particular um, situation, endowed the School of Industrial Engineering at Georgia Tech. That's for fantastic. this reason. Tell me, this is actually a fun thing. Uh, and I'm ask each of you, and, and I'll put you on the spot. For talking about charitable giving, who were your mentors? So, Steve, you said... The names? You said, yeah, I'd like to... Uh, let's give them the kudos. Well, the... Uh, the, those who uh, know me well know that Erwin Zabin was my number one mentor. And second would be Milton Weinstein. That's fantastic. Donna, do you have a mentor in charitable giving? Well, I, in the law firm that I started my practice with at Troutman Sanders, Wayne Vason was very involved in charities. He was one of the founders of the Madison Morgan Cultural Center. Um, 
Tinch Cox, who was uh, one of the senior partners when I started with that law firm, was very involved in quite a few charities. And so the culture, and Governor Sanders, the, the culture was um, all around me and, and the senior people that I worked with. Ty, do you have a mentor? Well, I've worked with a lot of people who uh, their charitable giving is just a part of who they are. So I could name a lot of people, but I'll single one out. Dameron Black is somebody who's been very involved in the philanthropic community in Atlanta, and he's a good example of just that being a part of uh, the way you live your life. And Adam, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who's your mentor? My mentor in terms of charitable giving? Yes. Ooh. Um, that's a tough question. Um, my grandfather, <laughs> actually, is would be my mentor. He was... Uh, he just died recently at uh, the age of 93, but um, that's mostly what he talked about was, was giving back to the community, that it was important to um, not just to, to be involved in the community, but to, to, to show it by, by committing resources to it. So. Let, uh, Craig, let me um, piggyback on one thing, too. It's not only do you have to have mentors, but I'll tell you what my mentor told me as a professional, as a CPA. He said to me, Steve, you take a lot out of this community with respect to fees, it's your obligation to put something back in. And, I, and I'll, I'll tell you that uh, you didn't ask me. I'm going to ask myself who was my mentor, and it actually is my dad because my dad and my mom always volunteered. They were always doing something. And I recall when my wife and I got married, as we started to figure out and started to have children, we had to plan how we would schedule our volunteerism and our giving so that we could raise the family, still obviously support our family, but have the time. And we came up with a funny compromise, which nights of the week, you know, she could do a Tuesday, I could do a Wednesday. <laughs> so it is kind of fun. But Well, well let me follow up on that question because it brings, brings up another important point. You know, when you, when you make charitable bequests in your will, that happens after you've died. How do you get families, not just the individual who's, who's perhaps made the wealth, but how do you get families to be charitably inclined? How does, how does one generation pass that, that value on to the next generation? Well, the textbook answer for that is to create a, a family foundation where the children get involved in running the foundation and making decisions about how to make the charitable gifts from the foundation. But foundations are expensive to run, and so that's where donor-advised funds and ways to give, like through the community foundation, can mirror that experience without having to create your own foundation, file your own tax returns for the foundation, and do all the paperwork that's that's required of that. So foundations have traditionally been suggested as a way to get the family involved in, in giving. And Steve, I know you and I have talked about this a lot. I mean, you have one generation that tends to be very charitably inclined, but, but that, um, that message doesn't effectively pass down to the next generation sometimes. Um, and, and the reason why it doesn't is, is because, uh, let's call it the, the, uh, uh, the parent generation has not involved the children in, the, in their philanthropy or in what it means to give and, and um, how you go about doing it. And what cause, they don't have to necessarily champion their causes, the causes of the parents, but they have to understand the importance of, of giving. And, and uh, another, another thing that, that I have found too, that's a, an, another very, very good question is that uh, great philanthropists don't just plan for today, they plan for the future. And those who have been successful at it do have, as Donna said, family foundations. Ty, I'm going to ask you a question. Well, did, you, well, did you want, go ahead. I, I wanted to add one thing. I, I would, remember one speaker saying that he had four children that he 
uh, he gave $500 apiece to each of these four children to give to a charity of their choice, and these kids would research it. But there was a fifth $500 that he gave that the four children had to agree, agree on as to who would get that last $500. And he said the interaction between the siblings in making that last decision was really where a lot of the growth came in promoting charity. I was giving. at that speech. It was the Atlanta Estate Planning Council. I, th I think <laughs> that is right. right. And actually, we're doing the same thing with our children at Gasowitz Frankel. Well, <laughs> our staff, I'm being funny, but our staff and our lawyers giving individually, but together at the end of the year, we're going to talk about how to give that money together, and the conversation has been just fascinating. My question for you, Ty, is, is something I'm seeing across the industry where givers, particularly educated givers who know a lot about it, are talking about metrics and, and how one measures the success of their gift. Is that playing into the Shepherd Center, and it, or is that something that is perhaps not hit Atlanta? Well, in terms of annual giving and major gifts, those metrics are pretty easy to measure. You have a goal, you try to meet that fundraising goal because your organization needs that support. Um, in the plan giving world, metrics are more difficult to measure because the seeds you plant today may not mature for another 20 years. So what you can measure and what organizations try to keep tabs on is activity. They want to see contacts uh, and how you're cultivating a, a, a particular donor and, or a prospect and how you're moving them from uh, an annual giver to hopefully a larger giver and then ultimately a planned gift. So uh, metrics are very important in Atlanta and everywhere. Right, you're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Adam Gaslowitz and Craig Frankel from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We're talking today with Donna Barwick, Ty Tippett, and Steve Berman, and we're discussing the topic of charitable giving. Well, Steve, let me ask you from the other perspective, because I, I appreciate the metrics, and as, as someone who's active in lots of charities, I often see our measuring our success from the, from the receipt side, sometimes our lack of success, so we got to learn. But from the giving side, where the donor is giving, how does the donor measure success? And, and, and I use the word metric, that's probably the wrong choice of words, but how do they measure success? By the outcomes, the success of the outcomes. If he if gave money programmatically, what was achieved, how was it achieved, and will the program continue? I had uh, one major client who says, I am not going to give seed money and just watch it go down a hole. He says, it's just throwing money away. But if I have some assurance that the outcome will be that by my giving this money, this program will succeed or continue, then I know I've done well. And, and Don, are you seeing where, where your clients are giving to programs that they're doing what, what Steve said, not just giving the seed money or the pilot money, but saying, if I'm going to give to this program, I want to see it out maybe two or three years or have reports or what are you seeing? Well, most of our clients who are giving on a regular basis to particular charities are involved in that charity, either on a volunteer level or um, they've started something um, within that charity, started a program or have some involvement. And some, some of the ones that um, 
people are particularly personally involved or um, like Jack Sawyer in our firm has, um, he's involved in a lot of boards and, you know, where you sit around and make budgets and that sort of thing. But he also is very involved personally with, um, you know, foster children and um, where where it's it's one-on-one and, and you really feel it then. I mean, you can watch a building be built and feel great about that, but when you see the the impact on a particular person, it's it's particularly rewarding. I've, I've noticed uh, along those lines that a lot of charities are starting to get the idea that the more they can involve their, their potential donors in the uh, actual charity, the, the more excited they get and the more likely they are to keep giving. And I, I saw one recently where they are, they're building wells in Africa. And, uh, and so when donors give to these, these wells in Africa, they actually get satellite link up so they can actually see the wells being built. They can actually see the, um, uh, these wells being used by the people. And so they, they feel connected to the actual charity. Have, have you seen charities attempting to, to try and involve donors and potential donors more in the, in the organization? If there's not engagement in the long run, uh, the gift won't mean anything. You can put your name on a building. But if that person is not engaged in the organization and doesn't understand the cause, the bottom line and the end result is they'll never receive another gift from that individual. How do you so, – so Donna had talked about providing the vehicles, and Steve said did you. When the charity isn't successful sometimes on the follow-through or letting you know what's going on, because charities are largely filled with volunteers, how can, can – do you help your clients – get that involvement of the follow-up anyway. I remember asking a uh, gentleman who uh, was an affluent member of the Atlanta community, I said, I, I know you must get requests all the time from many, many organizations for, for donations. How do, how do you deal with that? And he said, you know, you're exactly right. I do get numerous requests. But what makes the biggest difference to me is when, after the fact, that charity tells me how my money was used and what difference it made. That's everything. Uh, that goes beyond just the normal thank you. And, and the stories of how a gift impacted the life of, of families and patients, that is what connects the heart to the organization. So you mean my mother was right? Fought writing thank you notes a year <laughs> later and saying, gosh, this really helped me. Thank you. It, it actually works? Thank you notes uh, uh, are, are becoming a little rarer in our culture. <laughs> well, thank and, you email, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm not being oh, funny. My no. mom was really big on this, and I hope it's passed to me. But where, where the recipients of the giving are able to write and say how this program meant something to me, maybe a month or two out, or is that something that you're talking about? That's something we try to do. Uh, we could do a better job than we do in that regard, but that is something that's so important to the donors. It it's, goes much beyond a tax acknowledgement letter. It's trying to, to show what difference that gift made. You know, one of the things we tried to encourage our employees to do in, in, in their efforts at picking the charities the firm would donate to was to, to think community-wide as opposed to big national charities. And not that na big national charities don't do great things, but we wanted to get them uh, hooked on giving by giving to things that they, they saw the need for in their own communities and then be able to actually see those gifts play out. Um, do you have any sense of, of, the, of, of how people feel about giving to big national charities versus local community-based charities? 
I, I think that's an excellent point. Uh, the, the point being is if the dollars don't make a difference, they make, can make a difference locally, but if they don't make a difference, it's hard to get a donor uh, engaged. Yes, they can give to the large national charities, but they don't see their dollars really making a difference. And uh, it, it, what's what we try to instill also in our clients is give to those organizations where you can make a difference. And as my father-in-law, who is also one of my mentors, said to me the same thing, don't give the small dollars, but save up, give the larger dollars so you can really make a difference. What about you, Donna? Well, it's delicate balance having been involved on helping clients as well as being involved in charities. Um, it's it's easy to see if you go down and feed hungry people on Thanksgiving morning before your family eats Thanksgiving dinner. That's a you know immediate, tangible, um, you see the good of, of what you've done. With others, it's more difficult, whether it's building wells in Africa or whatever. The charity needs to tell the donors what they did with the money. And I watch my mail, and it's amazing to me how glitzy some of them can be. And then that's a turnoff to me because if I get a, a glitzy, um, fancy newsletter with a lot of pictures and and fancy graphics, then I'm, some of the money that I gave them and other people gave them went to producing that glitzy newsletter. So you want to communicate with your donors, but not in a way that is um, that it looks wasteful. So when you're doing that communication, and I'm, I'm serving on a board, we make a real point of, of putting in that brochure that it was donated by a board member and that all the services that related to the PR part were donated. Does it, would that help? Probably. I mean, it, 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 right. And one other thing, that's a very, very good point that, that you're making. We tell people, don't give to an organization where you get the return address labels. <laughs> Instead, give to an organization where you don't get the return address labels, but just a thank you note. Do you ever uh, see conflicts between family members where, where the generation that, that made the wealth uh, wants to be charitably inclined, but the generation below them, the children, the grandchildren, would rather inherit that than see it go to charity? I don't know why I anticipated that question from you two. Because <laughs> we see it in our litigation practice all the time. You know, we're usually talking to the donor, the, the client, and not with their family members. But if you anticipate there's going to be a problem, the client tells you that the ch children are not on board, there are some things that um, some of them are just built into the law, like the formalities for execution of a will. You want to make sure that the way the client documents what they're doing is done with all the proper formalities so it doesn't invite any sort of a family feud. And, and you know, the people who are entitled, we have basically what you call testamentary freedom, except for widows and minor children who there's provision for in the law if you don't take care of them. You can do whatever you want with your money. And so um, the people who are entitled to see the will and have a, the opportunity to object are the people who you might have an obligation to support. But beyond the minimal that's required by the law, you don't have to do that even. And so um, we make sure sometimes people go to extreme lengths if they think there's going to be a dispute. They might have a, a will signing videotaped or something like that so that they and have the person say you know why they're doing this and that that's a little extreme you don't see that that often but. I, I try to call that in, in my practice i call that a target uh where you can point arrows at because sometimes they come back to haunt you but i i can see why people do that well it used to be a long time ago um 
in the law that if you executed a will within a certain period of time before you died and a, more than a certain percentage of your estate went to charity, it was sort of presumed that there was undue influence or something bad going on there. We call that the Mortmain statute. Um, we don't have that in Georgia law anymore, but one of the most fun cases I ever worked on was a... Uh, um, the decedent died in the 30s, and the Mortmain statute was in effect, and, and she gave more than that percentage to charities, and um, there was a, a fight over that. So. And the, that's still true in Europe, and in some traditions, uh, Islam and Judaism, there's required charitable giving, um, and there's required amounts that I'm not sure everyone follows. So it's kind of interesting. I have found one of the ways to protect, uh, to, to protect against challenges for giving, and this, Ty, you may talk about this is to be giving to those charities over a long period of time, not six months before you died. Are you seeing that? Well, as Donna mentioned, uh, the money is the donor's uh, money to decide how they want to, to give it and to whom. Um, but as a business practice, uh, at Shepherd, we feel that particularly for the more senior donors, uh, we think it avoids a lot of conflict if we can bring the children into the picture, let them know what's happening, and and involve them uh, so that it avoids those disputes of, of the children feeling there was a better use of that money uh, than giving to the charity, namely for, to come to them. Yeah. So we just try to involve the family uh, to them as much as we can. Uh, especially for senior donors. And one of the one of the uh, things we found over the years in litigation is that people don't like surprises when it comes to their inheritance. And uh, communication uh, about the uh, testator's wishes, the parent's wishes, uh, beforehand usually makes the, the um, distribution at death a lot easier. But that's not an easy conversation to have with a lot of families. Have, have you had to deal with those kinds of families where communication is not their strong suit? I, I remember... Um, uh, one particular instance where a um, uh, a large IRA donation was made uh, to Shepherd uh, by a, a person who died, and uh, there was some resentment initially uh, from one of the children, and then as that child was exposed to what that money was used for and what difference it made in the lives of people. Uh, they were extremely pleased with that gift and felt good about it. Right. That same speaker that was referenced earlier about the, the last 500 and the children having to collaborate, I think he's somebody who works for my firm, for Wilmington Trust. He does, actually. Yes. <laughs> and he advocates... But, no, we all remembered it. you got three people in this room who remembered that. That's good. <laughs> he um, advocates and, and works with families and, and has family meetings where they... Sometimes if a family's not communicating very well, there there's some tricks to that, not tricks, but some tools that, that people who counsel families can use to get them communicating. It might be a, you know, a, a sports activity or something sounds silly, but um, with family meetings where you have everybody warm up or challenge them in a different way than just talking to each other to warm them up to the conversation. I find that that in my parents' generation, it may be different in my generation or, or my children's generation, but I find that my parents' generation doesn't want to talk about money. And so it is a difficult conversation. Uh, Steve, how do you deal with your clients? I'm sure you have clients that are older than you 
who want to give and are charitable but haven't really shared with their children how much money they have, what they want to be doing with it, because it's just not a conversation they have with their kids. I try to encourage them to let their children know what their plans are. And our some of our most successful uh, uh, clients uh, have actually written letters to their children saying, these are my plans, this is what I plan to do with my money, this is who I'm leaving in charge, and these are the charities that I, I want you to support, or suggest, not want, but suggest that you support. Are you finding that your clients are writing letters or you're assisting them in writing a letter that might go to them either while they're alive or uh, sometimes called an ethical will after they pass? The most successful are those who, that write the letters while they're living. Um, we're starting to run out of time, but I did want to ask just a tax question because we are all tax lawyers. Uh, are you finding that there are any uh, rumblings in Congress about changing around the tax laws with regard to charitable giving? Definitely. Uh, there's been a proposal that a trial balloon that's put up by, by the Obama administration that to limit the charitable contribution deduction at 28 percent. Um, and uh, recently that again got some play. Uh, it has quieted down in the last month. But if tax reform does work its way through Congress by the end of the year, you may see that again coming up. Anybody else? I know they, they talk periodically about eliminating the estate tax. Um, that seems to have quieted down for the moment. Have you heard anything on that, Donna? Not about eliminating the estate tax, no. <laughs> well, uh, actually, uh, the, the, there has been, again, conversation about eliminating the estate tax because it only affects three-tenths of one percent of people in the country. But the two people that are against it are probably two of the most wealthy Americans uh, in the United States, Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. They don't want to eliminate it. Why not? Why? Because they are leaving the majority of their estates to charity. Why? And, it, and this is a very passionate topic to me, and that's why I think that this conversation today is so important. Uh, it's important because charitable giving has usurped the government's ability to set public policy for things like child abuse, things like elder care and whatever. And the, the plethora of charities that are out there today that are giving millions of dollars to various organizations to help further this have have stepped up uh, and are taking the place of government who has abdicated their responsibility, in my opinion, biased as it may be. Well, that's, a, that's kind of an interesting way to end. So I'm going to ask two questions of everybody, and then I think we're going to wrap up. My first question is an absolute softball gift. Tell us which charity you're passionate about, and then end with each of you, and I'll ask one at a time, Tell us how, if anybody that's listening today wants to get in touch with you or your charity or ask follow-up questions, the contact information for them. So we'll start with Donna. Well, I'm, I'm probably a bad person to ask that question because I'm someone who makes a whole bunch of smaller gifts every year. Um, I grew up in Atlanta, and most of the charities that I'm involved in are, are Atlanta charities. I'm very involved right now on the board at Historic Oakland Foundation, which... Um, maintains Oakland Cemetery, which is more of a historical. It's more um, like a park than a cemetery. It, yeah, it? Almost, it almost is. But um, my, I have family members who live there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they live there full time, I take it. Yeah, yeah. So tell us how, if people want to contact you, they can get in touch with you. Well, I'm at Wilmington Trust, and um, the we're located in Buckhead in the Terminus Building, and telephone number is 404-760-2104 or dbarwick at wilmingtontrust.com. 
Excellent. And Steve, tell us the passion for your charitable giving and then tell us how we can get in touch with you. Well, my, my passion um, is Jewish Home Life Communities. And Jewish Home Life Communities not only runs the William Bremen Jewish Home, which is a skilled care nursing facility, uh, but our new newest facility, um, which um, unfortunately has my name on it, uh, is out at the Jewish Community Center as an assisted living facility, and it will be, be dealing with memory care issues. And I think that the abundance and, again, the expansion of those afflicted with Alzheimer's has really grown, and it's a passion of mine, um, and they may get in touch with me um, either through our, my email, which is sberman at bermanllc.com or at 404-262-2181. And, Ty, I know your charity, but you can say my, it anyway. My, and then... <laughs> my, my charity and my passion and my employer are one, <laughs> are, are, are one and the same, and that's Shepherd Center Foundation. Uh, my telephone number is 404-350-7308. Uh, email ty, T-Y underscore tippet at shepherd.org. And let me very quickly add that at Shepherd Center and many other uh, major charities around town, uh, Emory, um, uh, educational organizations, large charities, there's a wealth of information, wealth of information on plain giving on the websites of all of these organizations. Excellent. Well, I think we are done with our first show. I hope it was successful. Y'all will be the judge. I want to thank everyone who's listening to Wealth Matters, a radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Estate Dispute and use our show's hashtag, Wealth Matters. Our guests today were Donna Barwick, Ty Tippett, and Steve Berman. We really greatly appreciate your being on our, inaugur our inaugural show. And please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at, at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. Mm -hmm.